0: Our study of this subject of leadership starts in 1 Timothy. First, we will read the pastoral epistles, as they are called, pastoral epistles, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. If we're going to understand anything about leadership in the local church, this, this section of scripture is central to that doctrine or to that teaching. 1 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. For those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, and immoral men, and homosexuals, and kidnappers, and liars, and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. And yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. And yet, for this reason, I found mercy, in order that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. First of all, then, I urge That entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. And for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I am telling the truth, I am not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and ascension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves With proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as befits women making a claim to godliness. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into transgression. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctification with self-restraint. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, It is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he may not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil." Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be husbands of one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons uh, obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself In the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. But the spirit explicitly says, that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with the branding iron, men who forbid marriage, and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything Created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life, and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather, in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching." Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance, with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation Both for yourself and for those who hear you. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family, and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now, she who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well, so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be put on the list only if she is not less than sixty years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation, because they have set aside their previous pledge. And at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, let her assist them, and let not the church be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus And of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thus share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments." The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. And let those who have believers as their masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but let them serve them all the more, because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, And with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness." Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us, And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher." For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure of which has been entrusted to you. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Figalus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. These entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things, for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain, may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory." It is a trustworthy statement for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and thus they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power and avoid such as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these also oppose the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected as regards the faith. But they will not make further progress For their folly will be obvious to all, as also that of those two came to be. But you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you The wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, also Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. May the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Titus. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. But at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted, according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man be above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, that he may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things that they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession zealous for good deeds these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority let no one disregard you remind them to be subject to rulers to authorities to be obedient to be ready for every good deed to malign no one to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. But shun foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenas the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. And let our people also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs that they may not be unfruitful all who are with me greet you greet those who love us in the faith grace be with you all amen these three letters written to these two men Timothy and Titus these two men are pastors also called elders or overseers sometimes known as bishop that's an old word for the pastor or overseer. They are young men. This is evident from 1 Timothy 4.12 in reference to Timothy and in Titus two verse seven in reference to Titus where the apostle addresses the individual pastor as young. We don't know their exact age but gathering from the evidence within these letters, they are old enough to manifest godliness in their life, in their personal life. And they've been long enough believers because we are told in 1 Timothy 3 and in 1 Timothy 5 that they should not be new converts. They should be tested, so forth. And we should not lay hands upon anyone too hastily. So in that regard, we're dealing with young pastors or young elders young overseers, bishops in the local church. That's who Timothy and Titus were. But also in 1 Timothy, in chapter 3, there is a section in the middle of the chapter that deals with the appointment or selection of deacons. So elder and deacon, these are the two offices of the local church. And we also will note in Philippians 1, Verse 1, the Apostle mentions these two offices. He says there in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, he says, The overseers and deacons. Overseers and deacons. The difference between the overseer and the deacon, there's one primary difference. That is, the overseer or elder or pastor, he has the duty to preach and teach. The deacon does not have that. Though, the deacon must have godly characteristics. Both of the, the offices, the men should have godly characteristics matching what's written in these letters. But the elder or pastor, the overseer, he must be able to preach and teach. And preach and teach both the sound doctrine, but also the ability to communicate and to refute and to rebuke. He must be able to do Those things. Alright, so that's in summary what we have here. Now let's go to 1 Timothy and make our way through this letter. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And we'll go paragraph by paragraph. In verses 1 and 2, Paul identifies himself, he also identifies the recipient, Timothy. What does Paul say? about himself. Who is he? What do we make of what he says about himself? Why does he do this at the beginning? Well, for those of you who are unaware, in ancient Greek letters, it was common to put the name of the author as first, so that when a letter is opened, unrolled from a scroll or a roll on a papyri, the first thing that the recipient could see is who sent it. And this is a common interest whenever we receive a message, whether it's a phone call or a letter in the mail, we want to know who sent it. And this is their way of doing it. So that's why Paul's name appears first like this. Not for any other reason. That's the reason for it. So who is the apostle? And why is it that we ought to give what he says full weight? Verse 1.
1: He's giving evidence of His authority of, why, of what He is saying matters.
0: Yes, evidence of His authority. How, how do we see any evidence so that what He says matters? Where is it in verse 1?
1: It is according to the commandment of God.
0: Okay, so it's the commandment of God the Father. Um, he doesn't say Father there, but He does say it in verse 2. From God the Father. Okay. So he does have the authority of God himself. No one should disregard his authority, which is something that happened in his day. He had constant enemies. And we saw how often he refers to people deserting him, being left alone. Did we not read that? We're talking about the Apostle Paul. They should have listened to him, but they didn't. Many did not and deserted him. Okay, so they didn't regard his authority. If they desert him and contradict his doctrine, they are deserters and they fall away from God because they fall away from the apostle, right? Okay. What other evidence do we have in verses 1 and 2 about the authority of the apostle?
2: An apostle of Christ.
0: Yes, he calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle of Christ and what was the qualification to be this kind of an apostle, the way he's describing? Um, to see and be taught
2: directly by Christ?
0: Yes. to see Christ and to be taught directly by Christ. These are the qualifications. The first one is in the book of Acts, Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one, verse 21, 21 to 22. Acts 1, 21. Says, It is therefore necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these should become a witness with us of his resurrection. This they state, Simon Peter states this, to replace Judas Iscariot among the twelve. And he says what the qualifications are, 21 to 22. And in terms of being taught by Christ directly, Galatians 1, Galatians 1, verse 11. Galatians 1, 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, so that is the apostle. What about the recipient, Timothy? Who is Timothy in verses 1 and 2? 1 Timothy, verses 1 and 2.
1: True child of
0: the faith? Yes. True child in the faith. True what's the implication here? True child in the faith. Why, is, why does he call him this?
2: He's a true believer and he was um, taught and mentored by Paul.
0: Yes. He's a true believer and taught, mentored by the Apostle Paul. So that in the spiritual world, spiritual realm, father, son, relationship. How do we know he's true? Or how does the apostle know that he's true? He's not a false child, a false son. Because this terminology is coming from the Old Testament. Like Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. It's coming from the Old Testament where... Israel is adopted as God's son, but then the, all of the offspring within the nation as individuals, either they are true sons or they are false sons. They are either true daughters or false daughters because of the way that they what? The, the way that they behave or live. Yes. Yes. So why then does he say true? What has he seen in Timothy? He has seen... Fruit, definite good fruit, which is scattered throughout these two letters of Timothy, right? And the same would be true of Titus. So he's a true child because he's seen true fruit. Uh,
2: 2 Timothy three fourteen and 15 shows that fruit.
0: 2 Timothy three, fourteen and 15 shows the fruit. Uh,
2: you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So he knew them from childhood, and it, I think the implication is that he practiced them from childhood. And then in verse 14 he says, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. So continuing in the doctrine and the practice that he has been taught.
0: Good. Yes. All right. Any other comments in verses 1 and 2? Then, now, 3 to 11. 3 to 11. What's the issue in verse 3? As I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. What is the problem? What's happening there in verse 3?
3: False doctrine.
0: False doctrine. And he calls the false doctrine what?
3: Strange.
0: Strange doctrine. A stranger, you know, not familiar doctrine, but strange doctrine. That's what he's saying is happening.
2: A strange from scripture, so un unrelated to scripture.
0: Unrelated to scripture. Unrelated to the truth, the word of truth. Okay, it's foreign, and if it is strange and foreign, do we know the ultimate origin of the strange doctrine? Did he say so in in these letters? Where? From?
3: Angel of General light. Of so
0: it's no wonder that his messengers do the same. Yes, that's Second Corinthians eleven, thirteen to fifteen, where that is found. First Timothy four one. First Timothy four one. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. The origin of the strange doctrines, deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons.
2: Anything else to note in verse 3? He's to instruct them not to be led away. His his purpose as an elder is to instruct men not to to fall after
0: to Yes, his purpose as an elder is to be instructing the people to pay attention to certain men. If you're going to pay attention to certain men... It it requires active awareness of what they're saying or how they live. You have to know who the certain men are or do the best you can to discern who they are, right? And how important is it? We gather this in verse 3. How important? Urge. I urge you, which is a verb he uses a few times. I urge you. It's urgent. It's not something that we should take casually. Very urgent. And then, do we have any indication from his urging of them and the certain men, whether there's a few of them, you know, here or there scattered, uh, you know, across the landscape, a little bit here, a little bit there, one or two in the mountains, one or two in the plains, one or two in the cities, here and there. Is it, is there a paucity of false teachers or an abundance of them. How do we know? Does he say?
1: Or he he mentions many of them throughout these letters.
0: He mentions many. Yes. Do we have a, at least one verse when he says that there are many?
1: First, well, verse twenty. Among them are Hymeneus and Alexander.
0: Okay, 120, one twenty. First Timothy one twenty. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Um, In verse 19, he says some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith.
1: So they're not just in the mountains, they're among the people.
0: Okay, they're not on the outside, they are among the people, inside, in the assembly. Mm -hmm. Acts chapter 18. Acts 18? Yeah, when they're actually in Ephesus. Mm -hmm. When they're actually there in Ephesus 18, and which verse?
4: Well, it says, starting in 12, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. Uh, in 17, they, took, they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. Yes. And they came to Ephesus, in verse 19, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews when they asked him to stay for a longer time he did not consent. But taking leave of them and saying, "I will return to you again if God wills." He sets sail from Ephesus. Oh, so right. down
0: here in... Uh... sorry. And you mean that because they have the power to do this to one individual, there must have been a group of them. Yes, it, they could not do it in isolation. No, no, no. There has to be a group of yes. them. yes. Acts, it's right.
2: Acts, Acts twenty. Acts twenty. Uh, Twenty-eight and twenty-nine.
0: Acts 20, 28 to 30. Please read.
2: Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. So when... Paul urged Timothy from his departure in Macedonia and then reminding him again in this letter, it's reminding him of these things that he spoke to the entire church at Ephesus, that there will be savage wolves, it's a certainty, and that even from their own company, they will arise. Yes.
0: And speaking of the urgency, may we also read verse 31? How urgent and necessary, essential was it, for people to be aware. How solemn was He about it? In verse 31, He says, Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Night and day for a period of three years while He was there with them, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. How many elders have we ever encountered who do this. Admonish each one with tears, knowing that there are ravenous wolves trying to take away the sheep from the flock and destroy souls. For three years, night and day, people say if you talk about false teachers a lot, that's excessive. You don't, don't need to do that. Just focus on the positive, the truth. You're What's that? You're
5: scoffing.
0: You're, you're, you're scoffing. You're scoffing.
2: So again, the urgency, it's a matter of life and death. First Timothy 4:16.:
0: First Timothy 4:16. It's a matter of life and death. Please read.
2: <clears throat> Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So he's admonishing everyone with tears because it's a matter of eternal life and eternal death for, for everyone. Yes: It
0: is. If the pastor isn't careful, he'll lose his soul, and the people who follow him will lose their souls. Um
5: first Timothy one verse twenty. First Timothy one twenty. Of whom Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may not learn to bless that they may learn not to bless me. Is that punishment? This uh, is that punishment correlated with what we see in 1 Corinthians five? Verse um, 13. 13. Uh, not 13. Where, where the uh, man is delivered. Oh, five, five. 5 Yes, 5-5. Five, yeah. five. Is, that, is that the same kind of punishment or would this be harsher being that they were false teachers in 1 Timothy?
0: Well, in 1 Timothy 5, we do have teacher and and follower Implied here, but in this case, this is the explicitly the follower, and I think it's the same thing that is, exclusion or excommunication, church discipline yeah. kept on the outside, treat them like a Gentile and tax collector okay. because they're no longer under the protection of and guardianship of the local church among the people of God, they are now more isolated in the world where Satan is. Yeah. I, th- I think that's the best way to understand deliver over to Satan yeah
5: yes. and is it in the same context as for the salvation of the soul that he might repent or is this man completely or is Hymenaeus and Alexander completely apostate
0: apostate okay apostate blaspheme. they have blasphemed.
2: yes they so then the they in 1st Timothy 1 is that the people or is it they referring to him Hymenaeus and Alexander so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Well, even Hymenaeus and
0: Alexander, when they are afflicted in the world, they're going to know that it's the judgment of God. They're going to know that, but eventually on the day of judgment, they're going to know that. So either case, and then we who are observing it, whenever these kinds of false teachers arise, we're always learning about it. All of us are learning.
1: That's what it says in chapter 5. When it says that those who continue in sin will be from the presence of all. This is verse 20. So that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. 5.20.
0: 1 Timothy 5.20. So that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. Yes. Everyone learns, both the recipient of the punishment and the observers of the punishment. Everyone is learning. But I think in 1 Timothy 5.20, he is saying, Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. I think the antecedent of they is Hymenaeus and Alexander. Even in 1 Timothy 5, the man who is supposed to be expelled from the church, um, First he's, five. did I say 1 Corinthians 5? Yes, 1 Corinthians five, five, five. 5, the, the verse you mentioned. He's also being told that this is what we're doing. So he's also being taught not to blaspheme because he's being expelled. All right, then... What is their strange doctrine? First Timothy 1.4 uh, Nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. It's
1: extra-biblical. It's things that are man-made.
0: Extra-biblical. That's one way to summarize what he's saying here. Extra-biblical man-made. Myths, because there are no myths in the Bible, correct? Uh, where else has he spoken of these myths and endless genealogies? Within these letters, first. Chapter 4, 1 Timothy 4. 4.7. Four seven.
4: Please read. But I have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit, fit only... For old women, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness.
0: Any more? How about in 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy chapter 4. Chapter 4, 3 to 4. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn aside or turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Titus three, nine. Titus 3.9. 3.9. But shun foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law,
2: for they are unprofitable and worthless. And that's in contrast to 2 Timothy 3.16, where Scripture is profitable for teaching, for proof, correction, and training in righteousness. Yes. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work.
0: Yes. In contrast to the Word of God that makes us adequate, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. Now, we said... That this originates in men or man, right? Myths, speculations, endless genealogies, contrary to the word. But what would the motive be? One of the verses actually spoke of the motive. What is the motive? What is the attraction? What is the enticement with the man-made doctrines?
1: Tickle their ears.
0: To tickle their ears. Rephrase that. What does it mean to tickle the ears?
1: soothe their conscience.
0: Soothe their sin. conscience. So that what?
1: They can sin.
0: They can sin. But if we are focused on the Scripture, the Scripture will constantly confront our sin. But if we are focused on man-made doctrines, then sin is not going to be confronted. Because man-made doctrines will not confront sin as God expects. It will always be according to man's estimation, man's speculation.
3: In Titus 1.10, it says, For there are many rebellious men, anti-talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. So they were teaching still, uh, save or be saved by works through circumcision. But he also rebuked them, saying that if you circumcise yourself, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Yes. Uh, those are
0: man-made doctrines. Man-made doctrines. Many <coughs> rebellious yes. men doing this.
4: It also brings in the money. False doctrine does. First Timothy 3.3 3 says that uh, an overseer must be free
0: from the love of money. Yes. Yes. First Timothy 3.3 3, He must be free from the love of money. And 6 6 6, 6, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10. 6, 6 to 10. But godliness actually is a means of great gain with when accompanied by contentment, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and... Destruction, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. Also 6.17, 6.17 to 19. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, uh, of riches but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed and in Titus in the book of Titus Titus 1:7 speaking of the overseer it says among the different qualities he should or should not have it says Not fond of sordid gain. Not fond of sordid gain. What would it mean? What's another word for sordid? Sordid gain. My wife and I were just talking about this. Illegal,
3: dishonorable.
0: Yes, illegal, dishonorable, illegitimate ways of accumulating wealth. So for the pastor, if he is a lover of money... If he is practicing sordid game, how would that look? How would that look day to day in church life?
1: He would uh, be partial to those who had money in the church.
0: Be partial to those who have money in the church. Not confront sin. Not confront sin. How so? <clears throat> how would he avoid the confrontation of sin? They make people not give or make them leave. What's that? It would
5: make people leave or not hear.
0: Okay. So if he did
2: confront, it would make them leave the church. Okay. So in the preaching as well as in the day-to-day living with, interacting with people.
0: Yes. So in the preaching and teaching ministry, he avoids sin. He avoids discussion on sin. He avoids the study of sin. And he may use the word sin but only once in a while, but he'll never define it, he'll never describe it, he'll never use cross-references that speak about what sin actually is. It won't be constantly put forward to the people what sin actually is and is not. What else will he do from the
2: pulpit? Speak generally and vaguely instead of specifically. Yes. So he,
0: on the contrary, he's going to be general. Well, it's
1: 2 Timothy 4.
0: 2 Timothy 4, 4.
1: 3 and 4,
0: sorry. 3 and... Okay, he's going to tickle the ears. What, what does it mean again to tickle the ears?
1: Say things that they want to hear.
0: Say things they want to hear. Okay, all from the pulpit. Um, what about in day-to-day life?
1: He won't get to know the congregants on a personal level.
0: He won't get to know the congregants on a personal level. Why?
5: So they he doesn't see their
0: sin? He doesn't see their sin. They don't see his sin. And they don't see his sin. And if he doesn't see their sin and they don't see his sin, then what happens? Everybody's okay. Everybody's okay. Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. That is common. Very common. But pastors cannot be that way. Can they according to these letters? No. So if they are this way, then they are in it for the love of money. They are in it for love of reputation. They are in it for sordid gain. They are in it because it's a profession that they would rather do than digging ditches and collecting garbage.
2: Right? Titus 1, 12 and 13. (laughs) Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. You have to know them personally in order to reprove them severely for these sins that this testimony is true.
0: Correct. You have to know them to reprove them severely with the good goal. What's the good goal? The goal is not to bash them. The goal is not to humiliate them. The goal is not to isolate them, throw them out.
2: What's the goal? Sanctification. Sound in the faith.
0: Yes, sanctification, that they
2: may be sound in the faith. Mm-hmm. And not pay attention to these things that, that we're talking about, these false, these myths, these commandments of men that who turn, turn away from the truth. Who turn away from the truth. That, that's what tickles the ears. So.
5: Verse 5. Love from a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. Okay,
0: let's move on then. At the end of verse 4, chapter 1 Timothy 1.4... To the contrary, we should be furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Then, in verse 5, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So, to the contrary, what are we supposed to be about? What's our goal? Love. Love. So, somebody has genuine love. And someone has false love. Mm-hmm. Second Corinthians six six speaks of genuine love. If the Bible speaks of genuine love, well, what's the opposite?
3: <coughs>
0: what's that? It's false love. False love. False love. So genuine love, according to what we're studying here, is indeed to preach from the pulpit and then to counsel privately against sin. That's genuine love.
2: Because he says, a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And in Hebrews 10, will not the blood of Christ cleanse, how much more will the blood of Christ cleanse your um, hearts from dead works, your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So, it's, it's cleansing our conscience from, from sin. That's what love from a pure heart means. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself.
0: Yes, I think you meant Hebrews 9.14. Yes, thank you. Um, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hebrews 9.14. And again, the application of that verse, Hebrews 9. Is that
2: that the blood of Christ cleanses our conscience from dead works, so from sin to good works. Mm -hmm. And that's what he says here, having a good conscience. So it must be love from a pure heart and a good conscience. That's the goal. It has to be cleansed from sin. Okay. But what about professors who say,
0: professors of faith who say, well, I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe, I believe. But they don't have these virtues. Pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith, no true love. They don't have that. Then what does that say about the connection between 1 Timothy 1.5 and Hebrews 9.14? What has failed to occur? Salvation. Salvation. Right. First Salvation. John five. The, the blood of Christ has never actually given them a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. It's never truly been applied to them. 1 John 5, 1-3. 1 John
4: 5, 1-3. Please read. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. And how is this related? Um, because this is what true love is. True love for uh, God, true love for the commandments of God, and that's how you are shown that you are really a Christian, that you're really saved, is that you love His commandments and that your life reflects that.
2: Right. True belief, true love.
0: True belief
4: right, equals you, true love. You said you, uh, a professor or a pastor will say they believe, they believe. Well, they they really believe if they keep His
1: commandments.
0: And a part of the commandments is to preach and practice true love. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Right? Because Paul says this in 1 Timothy, and he also says in 1 Titus, to reprove them severely. So they have to be the yes. same
0: thing. Yes. Reprove them severely that they may be sound in the faith. Since when has that happened? Are we eyewitnesses of that happening? Rep- Reprove them severely that they may be sound in the faith. It's, it's extremely rare. And that's why true repentance is extremely rare. Because nobody is being severely reproved. They will only be severely reproved for man-made doctrines and man-made whims. It, when the pastor doesn't get his way or some rich man in the church doesn't get his way then he'll berate somebody who's contrary to him and make him go away. For those petty reasons, man-made, selfish reasons, then they'll reprove somebody severely. But if we're dealing with biblical truth and addressing sin, who's doing that? It's hardly done. That's why repentance is rare. True repentance.
5: Yes? In terms of the goal being good conscience and addressing sin, um, in verse 5, there's... First Peter three twenty one.
0: First Peter three
5: twenty one. This corresponding to that baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then there, Peter, and what he's explaining is showing that repentance is part of the good conscience. Um, it's the same thing. So we should we should be striving to see repentance in men. That's the good conscience they should they should be seeking for. And then also 1 John 3, 3. 1 John 3, 3. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. So they're striving for purification um, in their daily life and daily living, which is the good conscience and repentance.
0: Yes. So the pure heart has to be granted by God, by the blood of Christ, and made effective by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Correct? And then we continue in this purity. He says, And everyone who has this whole fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. 1 John 3.3 3. Did the apostles say something like this about purity? Also in these pastoral epistles? Did he not say it elsewhere? He says it in 2 Timothy 2.22. 2 Timothy 2.22. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The pure heart. But what's the key
1: here? Pursue righteousness.
0: We have to pursue it.
1: We have to flee our sin.
0: Okay. Flee sin and pursue. Are, Are these casual verbs? Or are these very active, strenuous verbs? Strong. Strong verbs, strenuous verbs. You have to flee. When people are fleeing, they don't take baby steps. Flee for your life. Flee for your life. Run away from sin as soon as possible on the highway of holiness, correct? Mm-hmm. And so it has to be immediate, should be immediate. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. So enter quickly. And then pursue. Pursue righteousness, faith. And further, the last clause. With those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So can we, according to 2 Timothy 2, to pursue purity with those who are impure? No. It says, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Do not be deceived. Bad company... Corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Bad company corrupts good morals. Okay, and then, um, speaking of this empty profession and the, the need for purification, Titus 1, 15 and 16. Titus 1.15 To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. What does verse 15 mean? What's another way to phrase, verse 15, the first part of verse 15, to the pure?
5: Um, from the wicked comes forth wickedness.
0: Yes. Out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but this is the opposite in the first clause. Mm-hmm. But the second clause, the second part of the verse, is talking about the wicked, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you're, you're citing uh, 1 Samuel 24, 13. Out of the wicked comes forth wickedness. Didn't Jesus say something similar in Matthew seven?
2: No. Similar
0: no. to Titus one fifteen.
2: No bad tree can produce good fruit. Yes,
0: yes. He says this in Matthew chapter seven. Matthew seven sixteen to twenty. Matthew seven sixteen. Uh, or we'll start at fifteen. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And how are we going to know who a ravenous wolf is? You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the rotten tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Then, this should be our central pursuit, right? Godliness, like he says, godliness is a means of great gain. That should be our central pursuit. Verse 6, 1 Timothy 1, 6. 1 Timothy 1, 6, and 7. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. How are they described in verses 6 and 7? Is there just one man out there? Some. 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 It says some. And then, do the some men practice verse 5? Verses 4 and 5. Do they practice it? No. No. They're straying. It says they stray. A stray sheep, a stray dog, a stray animal. That's supposed to be within its confines. That's not a good thing, is it? is it? Is it ever good to stray? Stray, by definition, is a negative verb, to stray. Right? By definition. It's not one of those verbs that could be used in a positive way or negative way, depending on context. Some verbs are always positive and other verbs are always negative, And some verbs could be either way, depending on the context. But stray is one of those negative verbs. I don't know if that's ever used in a positive way. It's not here. They stray... From these things, what things? Verses 4 and 5. Then what do they do? If they stray, they.
2: They fall away, they turn aside?
0: Yes, they turn aside to fruitless discussion. No good fruit. No good fruit. Fruitless discussion. What does fruitless discussion entail?
2: Are you asking like the content of the fruitless? Yes. What is the content of fruitless discussion? The, the myths and genealogies and the speculations.
0: Yes. Myths, genealogies, speculations.
1: The fables that are only fit for the old women.
0: Fables only fit for old women. Titus 1.10 says, Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision,
1: 2 Timothy two sixteen.
0: Second Timothy two sixteen.
1: But avoid worldly and empty chatter, lead further ungodliness, and that's what they're not avoiding. These men.
0: Right. Yes. And the example he gives, read seventeen and eighteen. Second Timothy two sixteen to eighteen. What's the specific example of worldly chatter?
1: It says, uh, But avoid worldly and empty chatter it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some.
0: Yes. Saying that the resurrection has already taken place. That means that they were post-millennial. They were full preterist post-millennial. Hymenaeus and Philetus. Okay, and then how about 1 Timothy 6? 1 Timothy 6. Still, what is fruitless discussion? 1 Timothy six twenty to 21. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. Okay, so they're using the word knowledge, but they have false knowledge. So they're using biblical words with unbiblical meanings and common words with uncommon meanings. This is how they have empty words and they wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers.
3: Yes. Also, uh, in Second Timothy three uh, one to.
0: 2 Timothy 3, yes. verse 1,
3: In 1 Timothy, to 5. Well, yeah. Okay. And he also tells us to uh, keep away from them. Yes. And every time someone rises up with uh, false doctrines, is to gain uh, wealth, uh, to gain, uh, to be recognized by others. Mm -hmm. So in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 6, he describes these people and tells what to do. Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: 2 Timothy 3, let's read 1 to 7. 1 to 7. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, and avoid such as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What, what do we find in verses 1 to 4? What's a way to summarize verses 1 to 4? 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 4.
1: Fruit of disobedience.
0: Yes, the fruit or rotten fruit, the bad fruit of disobedience is described. Everything that's contrary to true knowledge of God is in verses 1 to 4. This is not the only place in Scripture that lists uh, multiple sins common to men. Here we have it. We have it also in Titus chapter 3, 1 to 3, or Titus 3, 3. There's many places. And this is one such. So if anybody is practicing these, then he's a false teacher. And he's a false convert if he's in the church, not in leadership. Or if any men, men and women, but if any men are practicing these, then he cannot be an elder or deacon. Because we're supposed to avoid such men as these. Verse 5, avoid them. What also though is, he saying in verse 5, 2 Timothy 3, 5.
2: The men we're supposed to identify. They have an appearance of being godly. Yes. But they do not have the power. Okay, they have an appearance of being godly, but no power.
0: Well, how do we know they have no power with them or in them? Watching their lives. What's that?
5: Watching our lives, what? Have bad fruit.
0: Okay, because they have no power of God in their life mm-hmm. because they manifest bad fruit.
5: The
1: Holy What's that? The Holy Spirit works righteousness.
0: The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, works righteousness in them for good fruit.
1: They're still slaves to sin.
0: They're still slaves of sin, not slaves of righteousness. That's Romans six fifteen to 23. They're slaves of sin still. And what else do we find? If they don't have the power, and we see that because they are living a powerless life, a fruitless life, fruitless discussion, unfruitful deeds, rotten deeds, bad fruit. If that's the case, then where does the power of God reside that they don't have because they don't believe it? In
5: the Gospel Romans
0: 1.16. The Gospel. They don't believe in the Gospel, Romans 1.16, because that's where the power is. And when we say the gospel, we're, we're meaning the word of the gospel, the word of truth, correct? Romans one, sixteen and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So if they don't have that fruit in their life, they don't have the word of the gospel in their life. It's not producing anything. What about 1 Corinthians 1 1 Corinthians 1.18? 1 Corinthians 118. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. So man's wisdom is of no value to God, but the word of the cross, the gospel, what is it? It is the power of God. Also chapter 2, we must join the Word of the Gospel with the Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 16 does so, but let's read 1 to 5, and we'll get the gist of it in verses 1 to 5. Though he returns to his explanation of the Spirit in verses 10 to 16. 1 to 5 says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. The Spirit and the Word of God. <clears throat> All right, then, uh, further in 1 Timothy, and we may conclude here in verse 7 for this hour. Verse 7, he also describes what they are teaching and what they know or don't know. 1 Timothy 1.7 Wanting to be teachers of the law, even they, they, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions, how is their false teaching described here, in verse seven?
3: Well, is described by a true teacher, because Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he was a teacher of law. Yes. So he knew what they were teaching. Yes. So he. Uh, examining their teaching and he says it's false. Okay,
0: Paul was a pharisee of pharisees. He used to be- believe like them. So he knows what they are teaching. He used to believe like them. So that's why he says wanting to be teachers of the law. But wanting to be teachers of the law to the exclusion of the correct interpretation of the law in reference to the gospel and in reference to the apostolic witness to the truth. Right? Okay. But then how does he describe them in... Further describe them in verse 7? They want to teach the law, but what else? They don't know what they're talking about. They
5: don't
0: know what they're talking about. <laughs> they, it says, even though they do not understand either what they are saying, so they don't even understand what they're saying.
2: But they're confident, but they're prideful about it. <laughs> they're confident about
0: it. Yes, but they are prideful because it says about which they make confident assertions. Confident assertions about what the law says or does not say.
5: Something we've noticed with false brethren is they, when they quote scripture, they almost always are misapplying it.
0: Yes. Because
5: they don't understand what it means. Yes. Because they're using it with confidence to defend themselves, but they're misapplying it. Yes.
0: Yes. So false brethren... Will use scripture and use it confidently but misapply it. It's constant. They have to do it because the scripture is the truth. A false brother, by definition, is a liar. So if he's going to pretend or to deceive, he's going to use scripture but distort it. The unstable and un- the untaught and unstable distort the scriptures to their own destruction. Second. Peter 3, 16. Okay, one or two fi- more comments, final comments on verse 7, and we'll be- end this paragraph, though we-, we can pick up with the c- contrast in verses 8 to
2: 11 next time. Um, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, kind of connects this, not understanding the true meaning of the law as well as what we were talking about earlier with the power of... Of God in the gospel. Matthew five, seventeen
0: to twenty. Please read.
2: Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfil. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So the true understanding the law of, of the law is understanding that Christ fulfills the law. And, and uh, he's the one who teaches us to live righteously and godly using, using the law. Because he says in verse 8, We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So there is a true use of the law, contrary to what these false teachers are, are doing.
0: Yes both for our salvation and after our salvation, Mm -hmm. but not for our salvation Mm -hmm. in the sense of earning by good works, like circumcision. And these days, baptism, immersion, or sprinkling, however, and other things, giving money, um, celebrating communion, coming coming to church, good deeds or good works like social work, They'll, they'll use something else instead of circumcision. At least Gentiles do that um, in order to earn God's favor. Romans chapter 2. Romans 2. Uh, starting in verse 17. Romans 2, 17. 17 to 29. Yes, um,
4: and you can get it. You can, we can go to 23. We can go all the way down if you want, but... But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential being instructed, instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? Uh, and my point here is not only um, not only do they not understand, but they, they intentionally
0: break the law that they're teaching. Uh so, you're saying it's not just uh, that they don't understand, they are unintentional. You're, you're saying they are not unintentional. You're saying they are intentional, they are well,
4: They they because they don't have the Spirit of God in them. They're teaching something that they don't understand because they don't have the Spirit of God, and therefore they break the very commandments that they even teach.
0: Okay. Let me emphasize this point about them doing it deliberately. Because often we say they mean well, they have good intentions, they're just ignorant. And if they had somebody to guide them, then they wouldn't say that. But why is it that these same people never go to the people who could guide them? Because essentially, they don't want it. Look at 1 Timothy 1.7. He actually said it. Wanting to be teachers of the law. Want is deliberate. Want is intentional. Want is malicious. And James 3.1 teaches against that. James 3.1? Yeah. Please read. Let many of you, my brethren, not become teachers, for as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. Right? And how are you applying that? Well, that you shouldn't,
4: that not many people should have that desire to want. I mean, their want is malicious
0: and their want is for sordid gain. Yes, yes, it is malicious for sordid gain. I want to emphasize the want part because culture and Christian culture has a propensity to make excuses and say people are just ignorant. If they knew better, they would do better. That's the way that they are dismissed so that we don't have to deal with it or deal with our friends and family. They just do the best they can. Galatians has examples. Galatians, the book of Galatians, chapter 1. And shall we just end at this point, okay? That they these people want to do what they're doing. It is purposeful, deliberate, intentional, malicious, okay? Galatians 1 6 and 7. Galatians 1 6 and 7. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He says, want to distort the gospel of Christ. Further, we find in chapter 2, verse 4 of Galatians 2, 4. Galatians 2, 4. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. He says they were secretly brought in. Secretly. That's a conspiracy. That's a scheme. It's a malicious plot, right? Secretly brought in. That doesn't happen accidentally. And then it says, who had sneaked in to spy? To spy. That's on purpose. Correct? To spy. And then he says, in order. That is a conjunction explaining a purpose in order to bring us into bondage. It's deliberate right there. How about also chapter 5? Galatians 5. Um, Galatians 5 and, uh, no, excuse me, we'll go to chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, 6 verses 11 and following, 11 and following, we'll read one, 11 to 13, Six eleven. see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Do we see any wanting here? Anything deliberate here? Where? Verse, uh, first verse 12. Compelling. you. Yes. They compel, try to compel, try to compel.
2: So that, another purpose clause, so that they will not be persecuted. So there's a reason why they're doing it.
0: Yes, they don't want to be persecuted. Why would they be persecuted? Because the cross of
5: Christ brings persecution.
0: Why does the cross of Christ bring persecution? Because the
5: cross of Christ confronts the sin of men.
0: It confronts the sin of men. And if you avoid confronting the sin of men, then will you have many people on your side or a few people on your side if you avoid the cross of Christ to confront sin? You'll have many, so then you avoid persecution. The whole world. The whole world, yes. And that's in verse 12. How about in verse 13?
1: They
0: desire. Yes, it says, they desire to have you circumcised. And one more. So Actually, two bo- more.
2: So that they may boast.
0: Yes. So that there's our another purpose clause, that they may boast in your flesh. Boast. Do people boast, accidentally, or deliberately? It's
4: deliberate.
0: It's deliberate. Boasting is deliberate. One more. Uh, I was also thinking chapter
1: four. Yes. Uh,
4: verse seventeen.
0: Four seventeen.
4: They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them.
0: Good. Yes. In order that you, or so that you may seek them. And it says they eagerly seek you. People don't eagerly seek on accident, unintentionally. Right. Right. All right. One more comment? Okay, go ahead.
5: Philippians 1.
0: Philippians 1. Philippians <laughs>
5: 1. 15 to 17.
0: 15 to 17. Please read it.
5: Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. will. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed to the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So their motives were not pure, even though they sought to be teachers of the law or to proclaim Christ. Right. They're impure motives.
0: They're impure. And what does he call them? In, start in 15. What, these impure motives, in 15 and 17, they are described. Envy, envy and strife. Envy, strife. And in 17? Selfish, selfish ambition. Selfish ambition.
5: But also to cause me distress. Cause distress. Intentional.
0: Intentional, causing distress. Yes. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.